Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by CFN. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Matt Ober, a godfather in data sourcing, to discuss his history finding data in the early days of the space and his new project, Initial Data Offering. If you know of an alternative data story that needs to be heard on this podcast, please do get in touch. So in this episode, I'm joined by Matt Ober of Social Leverage. Thank you very much for joining today, Matt. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, Matt, I am talking to somebody who um, who pretty much invented my job um, back in the day. So I'm in I'm in hallowed company indeed, and and uh, and and. Well, I don't want to say awed, but uh, but you know, it's uh, it's a it's a it's a pleasure to speak to you. So you've had a you've had a long and very interesting history in alternative data and in the space. You've moved into a very interesting area outside of the direct space, but still very involved in it. And you've just launched a very exciting new venture, which we're going to talk about today. And you've got a hundred interesting opinions as well, which you're very good at sharing online. So really good guest, and I'm thoroughly looking forward to talking to you. Um, let's begin with WorldQuant because you joined WorldQuant in. June 2011 um, as a data strategist, or maybe that wasn't your title at that point. But tell me, tell me the story. How did? Um, please, well, please introduce yourself. Sure. So uh, Matt Ober, uh, like you said, I joined WorldQuant um, in the early years uh, after spending time at Bloomberg, both in San Francisco and New York. So Bloomberg was where I started after I did uh, uh, my college at Chico State. Um, you know, WorldQuant was exciting. I joined when it was. Uh, you know, just really New York and old Greenwich, Connecticut. And over five to six years that I was there, we grew um, to 600 plus researchers. And, you know, it was always exciting thinking about if we could consume more data than anybody else in the world, we can manage more money. So um, what did you join as? I joined as a, I think we called it data strategist or data product analyst back then. The funny thing is, is I actually got the job at WorldQuant through a Craigslist posting. So, um, back then hedge funds were, you know, posting jobs that way. And I don't know why I was looking there, but, uh, you know, it all ended up working out. And, um, over the six years I became, uh, the head of the data strategy there. And we also started uh, world quant ventures along with, um, Steve Lau, who's still running that. So we were investing also in, uh, a lot of these private companies in the data and technology space, but. What was exciting about WorldCon is we, you know, would partner with and be clients of hundreds, if not thousands of uh, data vendors, you know, across the world, you know, traveled, went to every conference, met with every vendor, helped them build products, gave feedback, sometimes invested in them and used it for all systematic strategies. So the story I've been told is that um, in the old days, essentially, it, somebody would um, create a data provider um, they'd have the idea of being of a data provider. They would um, uh, go into their garage. They would create a data set somehow. Um, and the next second, there would be a, a knock on the door 
and there'd be someone from WorldQuant outside. Um, the story was that WorldQuant were just on it, um, essentially, and really. So I think that's. I don't want to sound too gushing, but I think it sounds like a like a compliment to you. And you were there in the early days. It was it was it was um, yeah. You uh, WorldQuant seemed to me to have had a reputation back then for for, for being on the pulse. What yeah. was the what was the scene like? What was it? What was the job like? Because it was so early. How was it? How was it finding data? And that's such an early early stage for for finding data. Yeah, I mean, I think that was definitely part of it. It was part of also building the brand. I think at the time, hedge funds always had a bad reputation of not being vendor friendly. And I think we were, you know, I had worked at Bloomberg. Um, I had hired two great guys over after I was there for a few years. And, you know, we had a belief like, you know, let's do right by the vendors, give fair feedback, you know, answer their calls, take, you know, hundreds of meetings a week and, you know, feed the machine that we had, which was, you know, the best researchers in the world. So, um, part five. You're talking about, you're talking about a hundred, hundreds of meetings a week, but this was a very nascent, um, I mean, are we talking alternative data or are we talking more traditional data? We're talking alternative data, traditional data. I think, you know, then it was just like, we need to define data that met criteria that a quant could use. And, you know, everything from Twitter to Bloomberg to market and S&P to all the little guys that are out there. And, you know, once you start having a, uh, a brand that you're approachable, that you're hungry to buy data, and you're interested in everything and anything, you know, friends tell friends, tell friends, tell friends. And, you know, sooner or later you grow into uh, not having to outbound to everybody, but getting, you know, unlimited amounts of inbound. And I also think it helped that we would show up at every event around the world. So whether there were data conferences, quant conferences, conferences that weren't for, you know, alt data, but just, you know, broader industries. Um, and, you know, that was really part of growing the network. And it's funny enough, that's how I met my current partner, Howard Lindzen, who had started StockTwits in the early years. I think we had, I had cold called him and told him we wanted the entire StockTwits data feed. Uh, and that's back when they were selling it. And similar to Twitter, we were like, we'd like all of the data and let's let us have it. And we'll, uh, you know, obviously pay you for it. It seems like the job back then was, um, and there's an awful lot of things which have now been rather more commoditized and made easier. And the, the business has um, evolved in that you've got your your new datas and your battle fins and your eagle alphas who are creating conferences where people can meet. Um, back then, did you feel alone doing this? Or did you did you see the competition out there? Were there were, did it feel like, I don't know, like uh, kind of, you know, Wild West cowboys and you'd recognize the guy across the room and, oh, God, he's he's here. That means they know about it. Was it was it was it was it like that? Or did you did you not see anyone? How 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 did, how did you feel the competition? At the very beginning, I don't think there was much competition. And, and, you know, even in the early years, I think we were running at 100 times faster than anybody else. Um, I think we had a, you know, a mandate of, you know, growing 100 X a year. and. Um, not really thinking about it as a budget because if it was valuable, we would, uh, you know, be interested and, um, we did things at scale. So I think the industry's obviously changed with conferences, you know, Battlefin was just starting back then. And Tim Harrington had something called the data science combine and was getting vendors together. But even then that was still early. And I think now you go to these events and they're great for networking. Um, you know, a lot of people have already met the vendors at that point. Um, relationship building was still early in the data vendor world and you didn't have as many p 
people from data vendors working within hedge funds yet. You know, when I left Bloomberg and joined a hedge fund, I think that that was like a a big accomplishment in the vendor world. You know, I remember everybody at Bloomberg being like, how did you get to the buy side? You know, it was always e- easier to get into the sell side from a vendor, but they always said, you know, if you stay too long at a data vendor, you'll never make it over to the hedge fund world. Um, mm. You had like a, you, know, you had four or five years after that, you're a data vendor for life. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think people that work at data vendors have a huge value add to the buy side and the sell side now. I'm just thinking about people like Carson Bonek, who spent all his all his life at, at um, on the on the provider side, and then came and made a big splash at Ballyasney. So, um, so yeah, I think maybe it's not true anymore. But um, why do you think why do you think WorldQuant sniffed the data opportunity so early? Why was it scaling so much on these scouts um, and and presumably the strategies and 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 models off the back of the data at in 2011, when everyone else was was kind of saying, well, you know, I mean, a lot of a lot of people didn't wake up to data for another five years after that. What what do you think was was gave WorldQuant the, the head start? I think the quants always were interested in data. I don't know how many you know quants were actively pursuing it right with like a team that was focused on getting data at scale, right, and building the systems to do things systematically at scale. You know, I think like firms and hedge funds started to realize that, you know, you needed to build new roles with different skill sets, right? Like who's going to pick up the phone, talk to these vendors, understand the value add, come up with the ideas, uh, figure out the legal and compliance of getting it through the, through into the, into, you know, the firms, um, you know, back before I started, you know, I think a lot of the hedge funds were, you know, the quant, themselves or the PM themselves would pick up the phone and talk to a data vendor, but they also had a million other things to do. And then like, they've got to like look at a contract and there's not really a process. So building processes and, you know, having that as something that you can do repeatedly, I think was still um, something the industry hadn't really thought about, um, at least at the scale that we had wanted to build it. So how did your role evolve? You were at WorldQuant for five and a half years. Um, how did you, how, obviously you went from data strategist to co-head, so you got more seniority, but how did your role within within the fund evolve during that time? I mean, I think in the early days, it was, you know, just me and one other guy. And then obviously we built a team. We had offices in 26 countries. So I had team members around the world, you know, helping with the data ingestion and automation. We had lawyers helping with the contracts and automating that piece. Um, we had started WorldCoin Ventures where Steve Lau and I were investing in a lot of these companies because, you know, we helped them so much in product development and uh, getting scale that, you know, we thought there was a good opportunity to you know, own a piece of the upside uh, in them as well. And, you know, thinking about web scraping opportunities, building our own data sets, uh, expanding asset classes. So as I got more and more senior there, it was obviously building more of a team around this automation, automating more of it and making it more of like a, almost like a factory, you know, it's world always says building that alpha factory where, you know, data goes in one end, alpha comes out the other. And, uh, that's how they get into, uh, the investment strategies. So, um, I think that was probably the six year journey of just how do you build the, that entire factory? And so by the time you left, was it a machine which didn't need running anymore? Did you feel? No, I think by the time I left, it was, you know, I loved what I was doing there, but I think, you know, a new opportunity uh, emerged. And I think that 
like you said, data was becoming more recognized outside of just the quant space, right? It was for the entire investment uh, space. And that was why um, I took the opportunity and uh, joined Dan Loeb in Third Point as the chief data scientist. So that was a shift because you were you were data strategy at, at WorldQuant. You were finding data and building a process around discovering and onboarding data sets. And then at third point, you're chief data scientist. So that sounds like a like a much more technical, getting your hands dirty type role. Is that right? You know, I think like if you put titles aside, I think, you know, within a, a traditional long short hedge fund that did everything from credit, structured credit, macro, you know, activism or constructivism, you know, and private investing, right? And traditional like VC stuff. The chief data scientist there was more of a leader of like data and technology, right? So maybe you call it a chief data scientist, but I think when, when I got there, I realized great investment team, great at, um, you know, idea generation, but no processes, no, no centralized data, no, uh, thought around how do you take data and, you know, infuse it into the uh, investment decision making, you know, make things more scalable, more automated. And, you know, each analyst was kind of running their own, you know, quote unquote business with one main PM. And like, how do we take that and really scale that out? So you were thinking about internal structure and internal structure, best way to make the most of data and building, again, you were still building processes within the fund as to how to get the data in and diffused within the company. You weren't, you didn't become a kind of somebody who was, who was kind of modeling and, and cleaning and, and doing all the, all the data science work. No, I think it was more of here's a desk and here's a vision to build the world's, you know, the gold standard data science team within a traditional long short hedge fund and go build. So it was really about like building the team, getting the cloud infrastructure off the ground, rebuilding the process internally on how analysts think about pitching ideas to get into the book. Um, and, you know, kind of educating as well as not only the analysts, but, you know, new investors asking questions and, you know, I would always say to uh, both the team and analysts, like, how do you invest in Starbucks if you're not looking at consumer transaction data? Like, there's no excuse anymore that you don't have a team that understands, you know, how to look at alternative data or uh, team members that have Python skill sets, right? Like, you shouldn't be able to invest in a consumer name without looking at this data that's available that has been proven to be correlated and insightful and, you know, it's not really alpha anymore. It's almost like beta and you need to have this just to do your day job. Um, so that was kind of the thesis. And how do you do that across every sector, every asset class we're investing in um, and have the infrastructure in place to answer questions quickly, monitor the portfolio, automate things, you know, beef up the risk team, uh, rethink the analytics internally and give us the engineering resources that we could do things uh, uh, scalably. Um, cause you know, managing, I think at the peak there, $20 billion, you know, the team was very small. We were less than a hundred overall. And the investment team was only 20 to 30. And was that very uh, centered around Dan Loeb himself? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think he had the vision and saw where the world was going and said, you know, if you're going to invest in companies that are leveraging the latest in data and technology, we should be doing the same internally. And how do we get there? And I think. He hired me to build that team out. Um, 
and kind of change the way they thought about the investment process. And listen, it wasn't changing their investment uh, thesis. It wasn't changing who they were. I think it was just thinking about how would you rebuild this if you rebuilt it uh, um, from scratch with the right, you know, um, support teams around the core analysts. Okay. So you're still buying the same data sets from a different from a different seat and you're and you're grappling with similar problems. And then I would, say yes. I would say yes and no to that. I think in the fundamental uh, long short space, there's 10x more data sets that are relevant because, mm-hmm. you know, quants need specific things when it comes to history and coverage and frequency. And if you're investing in a single name and investing billions of dollars, you're less worried about um, the history and coverage. You could be very interested in one data set that only is good at giving you insight on one company. So I think um, I would argue it's it's much harder in the data space in a traditional long short fundamental because of uh, the depth and breadth uh, that is expected uh, of the team to get to the data. Plus, the team needs to be more knowledgeable about the actual companies that you're investing. Uh, that's what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna say. Actually, is that um, in a in a fundamental. It's a lot about context, isn't it? Whereas in a in a quant fund, there's more. There's essentially they're finding patterns and and um, you know, uh, kind of it's a mathematical problem, perhaps. Whereas in in a fundamental, there's more of a there's more uh, knowledge required potentially in order to to extract the best information from it how who who holds that knowledge every single one of those um fundamental investors has to be a a a brainiac who who is a who is tracking the world every day is that is that is that how it works yeah i mean i listen i think if you're a data science team within a fundamental firm you need to uh, be a sponge and soak up all of the insights and knowledge from these analysts and understand the KPIs and what actually drives the stocks and what they think is important versus in a quant space, there's a, there's a playbook, right? On what data will fit into uh, the strategies that you're looking to deploy. And then it's about doing your back tests, seeing how correlated they are, what the upside is, how much alpha there is and how, you know, um, how much can you rely on the vendor? The fundamental world is completely different. There's storytelling to be done. There's uh, visualization that needs to be done of the data. You know, I would argue that the best data analysts and guys on data science teams at fundamental shops, you know, arguably could become an analyst in a career path, right? They, because they need to be able to have conversations with the analysts, be one step ahead of them, think through what data can answer the questions where, the quantitative space, um, you know, you can really build out a, a much easier framework. Do you have a view on who the future belongs to, one or the other? Now that you've seen, you've seen, you spent five years at each, so you're you're uh, you're unusually qualified to uh, to to make a call. Listen, I think both have a tremendous opportunity. Data is only growing. The capabilities of AI right now are going to make the fundamental investor. Uh, much more efficient and powerful. You know, in my current seat, we have a company called FinChat we invested in. And like just seeing the ability to use their, you know, AI analyst or co-pilot to, you know, think of it as an AI assistant when you're doing research, how much quicker that'll allow them an analyst to ramp up and um, get answers. I think the quants, you know, 
it's going to be, you know, a continue to consume data at mass and, uh, you know, constantly evolve with AI as well, but that's more for creating their systematic algos. So I think we're still going to have, um, value in both sides. And I think allocators will continue to allocate to both quant and traditional fundamental. But I do think the fundamental guys will have to continue to embrace technology because the analysts of the future maybe isn't going to be, you know, right now you think of an analyst that has Python skill sets. You're like, oh, they're much more maybe efficient than just your typical analyst that uses Excel for modeling. I think five, 10 years from now, it's going to be these analysts that uh, embrace all of these up and coming tools like FinChat and all these others that can do the work of an analyst today, 10 times faster, become more efficient, you know, um, leverage the tools that, you know, right now don't exist. Mm. Um, we're about to leave, um, your data sourcing and strategy and D- chief data scientist, uh, pass behind before we do, um, what advice would you give to a data sourcer of the moment? Continue to evolve, right? I think data sourcing when I started was finding vendors at scale and the good ones were good at negotiation and contracts and everything. I think today you're expected to be able to look at the data, do some assessment, maybe test it a little bit. Um, and I think the teams of tomorrow need to embrace, embrace the uh, AI tools that are out there. Um, so I think, you know, before it was data sourcing, it was just traditional market data analysts. And I think, uh, data sourcing will become part of a larger mandate for that role, for the roles that are, um, that are there today. So if you're doing the data sourcing, I don't think it will be a hundred percent of your day job. You'll have other responsibilities. And I think continuing to push yourself and to learn about the new tools and, uh, technologies will keep you ahead of the curve. Okay. So Feb 2022, uh, you change gears, uh, you get into social leverage. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I'd known Howard Linson and, uh, Tom and Gary, um, firm was started by Howard and Tom, uh, almost 15, 20 years ago. Now Howard was the founder of stock twits, which is the Twitter for finance. Um, we got to know each other when I was at world quant, uh, I was a big user of their data. I became an LP in their fund. And, um, you know, it was a great opportunity for me to join them back in February of 2022 as a partner. Um, you know, we invest in early stage at seed stage in fintech and vertical SaaS um, for the majority of our portfolio. We have a little bit of consumer um, and they're probably best well known for investing um, and being the first checks in Robinhood, eToro. Uh, y charts, Alpaca, customer with a K. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the data technology, uh, fintech tools, um, companies that I knew from, you know, growing up in the industry. Howard was an investor in, or we looked at together. We invested alongside each other, and so joining the team was a, a great natural fit for me. It got me to come back to California, and you know, now we're actively investing out of Fund Four. Um, have a few investments left to make. And we also have a fund to fund where we've backed other uh, early stage emerging managers. I'm going to ask a blunt question here. There seems to be the the siren call of angel investing and, and investing in small companies and, and going out and doing it yourself like that. It seems to attract many people in our space ultimately as a, as a kind of maturity and evolution. 
would you say it's because um, that's because it's exciting? Or would you say it's because um, the once you've got a certain amount of knowledge, it's a really good place to um, make the most of it by by uh, you've seen a lot, you've seen a lot of um, smaller firms, um, which ones grow, which ones don't, and you, you can use that experience? Or is it because it's um, really one of those few ways without starting a company yourself where you can really make big money? <laughs> I mean, listen, I think it's a little bit of everything. I think you gain all this knowledge over time. You're naturally helping other companies. Like, why not, uh, you know, do it as a full-time uh, gig? For me, you know, we had done early stage investing on the private side at WorldQuant, and I always enjoyed it and working with founders. And we did private investing when I was at ThirdPoint as well. Um, and I had always been an investor in social leverage personally. Um, so I knew about the network and the ecosystem, and I think, you know, it was naturally what I wanted to do for the long run, which was, you know, the excitement of building companies, the excitement of investing in the, you know, latest technologies and um, softwares that are being built. Um, and I think, it, you know, timing was right after uh, spending all that time at WorldQuant Third Point and, you know, my early years at Bloomberg. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so around the alternative data space, what do you look for in an investment? How would you describe your kind of checklist where you lean in closer and closer as they're talking? Because this could be, this could really be something. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think for us, we're fintech and software investors um, as our core. I'm always looking at the data angle and interested in meeting, you know, quote unquote, alternative data vendors, you know, You've got to think about the scale. If you think about over the last 15 years, there's not a lot of companies that have gotten to venture scale in the data space, or at least from the data space that you know I think about, right? You have Tegas and AlphaSense and a few others, but the rest are much smaller. And I think if you're going to take venture money, you have to be thinking about a much larger scale because of the you know expected returns from LPs. Um, so that's kind of something I think about. I also think about so most, size of size of potential market. Size of potential market, but also the vision of the founder. If you think about the most successful data and information services companies in, in over our time period, right? IHS, Moody, S&P, Market, Faxit, they're serial acquirers. They build a lot of products, but then they acquire a lot of things that, you know, enhance the overall offering. So, you know, I think that there is definitely an opportunity for that. Um and I've been thinking that for a long time, which is we have a lot of products out there. There's a lot of data sets out there, but there's not a lot of you know, large data and information services companies. Um, and I think a lot of things make more sense um, if they were you know, brought together under one uh, larger company. If you had um, a in potential investment in a, in, a, in, a, in a data company or a, or a kind of data platform, Perhaps you know a, a shovels company instead of a a, a gold company. Um, which uh, would you have a preference, or or kind of even, and you do judge them on them on their merits? No, I think I'm kind of open to seeing all of them. Um, I'm much more interested in data and information services companies that are selling to all industries and not just focused on financial services and hedge funds. You know, I think it's hard to sell to hedge funds. Right. There's so many barriers to entry and so many things that can go wrong. I think the most successful and the most interesting companies, you know, are building for 
a specific industry and it just happens to be interesting to financial services as well, or they're building for multiple industries. Um, so, you know, from my standpoint, I think it's um, uh, companies selling just into the finance space is difficult and doesn't mean I'm, we wouldn't be interested, but, uh, you know, I think they just need to know what they're signing up for. Okay. Um, and so tell me about, I, 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 I mentioned it at the very beginning, tell me about this this latest venture, which I think you announced earlier in January. Um, and it's the, and it's, yeah, it's, it sounds very tra- potentially transformative and, and um, could be a, a very exciting new avenue for, for people in the data data sphere. So, so uh, go ahead. Yeah, so about a month ago, um, I launched something called initialdataoffering.com. And, you know, this was a... Uh, it was a URL I bought, I think going back eight years ago, probably at my time at WorldQuant, I was thinking about how many newsletters we sign up for and emails we were getting and meetings we were taking and just the frustration of how do you keep up with all of these data set and data product launches, you know, not only from the largest companies in the world that are public, but all the small guys. And, you know, I loved what, you know, Battlefin and Eagle Alpha and New Data and all them were doing, which was, you know, very focused on finance at the time, but also were selling you other services and events. But I always felt like there was something missing. You know, we had Product Hunt, which was great, you know, Silicon Valley launching a product, a great announcement place. And I always thought G2 was interesting from a software perspective and seeing ratings, but there was never a place for people to announce their data set to a larger community of buyers, sellers partners, um, and just a network of data enthusiasts. And so initial data offering, kind of like, you know, an initial public offering, we were like, it should be celebrated when a company is bringing a data set to market. So we launched initialdataoffering.com, simple idea of vendors can come on and uh, submit their IDO so that they can announce it to the broader uh, community and get on the, uh, on the calendar. And I think what is powerful if this is continues to build out in the right way is that we have a forward-looking calendar. So if I'm a buyer at a hedge fund, an asset manager, a corporate, and I'm thinking about my budget for the year, I can go to initial data offering, uh, hopefully in the future, and look at the calendar for you know three months from now and see, oh, each day of the month, here's the you know 30 companies launching their initial data offering. And you know, I may not have context of what the exact product is, but I can see that some of the companies that I really respect are launching a new data set. And that's you know, extremely valuable from a budgeting perspective, but also like to know what new data sets are coming. So right now we deliver every day an email uh, during the week of the initial data offering of the day um, posted on LinkedIn, uh, stock twits and Twitter as well. Um, And it just makes it simple for anybody that's interested in buying, selling or partnering in the data space to keep up on um, the latest data sets that are coming to market. Um, so who are you who are you thinking of though? Are you thinking of you know S and P come up with their their latest data set and they're going to announce it, or are you thinking of the person who's just got his uh, new data provider together and has and has has managed to procure hopefully um, data with a history? And um, so you know it's his first. Off we go. Uh, do you want do you want all ends of the spectrum? Are you uh, are you aiming for everyone? All ends of the spectrum. I mean, I think the most valuable thing is if we can get the S&Ps and Bloomberg's and Faxes of the world to announce as well um, and give it uh, ahead of time as a forward-looking calendar without giving away anything that they're keeping secretive until launch day. But, you know, we've already had announcements from 
Raven Pack, from FinChat, from Live Data Technologies, and Revelio. These guys that maybe we know these vendors and you're you're a client already, but this is a new data set that they're launching, right? And I think that's what's exciting is if I'm a marketing person at a company that sells data, I can start to think about, you know, I have three data sets that we're launching this year. I can get on the calendar with IDEO. I can plan this launch. It's a community that's, you know, excited every day for what's coming up. And, you know, eventually there'll be a calendar and they'll be able to say, oh, this is coming up. You know, I can start to express interest, plan my calendar around it. So for us, you know, this is something for me of just more of building the community. Um, We're not looking to be a data marketplace. We're not looking to do, you know, the depth and breadth that some others are offering or consulting or helping with sales. You know, we're making it easy to get an intro, but, you know, we're more focused on building the community and, you know, celebrating these new data sets that are coming to market. Um, And we don't have any plans. And I think the big thing for me is like, this isn't going to be some sort of paid data library. It's going to be free. You can always see it. And um, yeah, just remove the completely non-commercial for you. Listen, I think at this point, I don't need this to be a commercial money grabbing uh, type of venture. I'm, I'm more excited about, you know, seeing all these data sets personally, you know, like I'm seeing everything that's submitted and getting to, uh, you know, see what we're going to put on the calendar. So it's exciting for me. It's valuable for my own portfolio companies that launch data. I think that there's partnerships. Listen, there's natural ways you could monetize in the future, but I think at the core, I never want to have conflicts of interest. I don't want it to be a paid uh, library of data sets. I don't want hundreds of data sets just being dumped on there. I, I, I like the idea that you you know, launch an initial data offering each day. Maybe a few companies will launch in the same day eventually. But um, I think less is more. And um, yeah, that's really the goal of this. How much How much are you policing? How much are you, I mean, do you mind if, if a company puts some lipstick on an old data set and then launches it as a, as a new one? Are you, are you making sure that's not happening somehow? Listen, I think that we're not going to do the depths of diligence that's necessary by most firms to decide if they're going to be a buyer. I will say that there's a good, uh, you know, couple of checks that we're looking for that, you know, if I feel like there's a potential conflict or a compliance issue of the data set, or it just doesn't fit uh, the community that we're trying to build, then, you know, we won't put it on the site. I think that, um, you know, we want, we, we want the new data sets that are launching. That being said, I think there's a lot of companies that have like a data set that maybe they have never really marketed to a larger community. They've never had a way to showcase and maybe they've enhanced over the years. So we're not opposed to having some of those uh, come onto the uh, platform. Have you seen any um, particular ones so far come through, which have, which have, uh, which you thought particularly, if you were in your old seat, you would have jumped on any, any, any that you think are particularly interesting? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think there's been a few. I think today, live data technologies has a pretty cool real time uh, job change data. Um, I didn't realize that Bullish Studios had like a you know a stock market videos uh, API. You know, FinChat has their own KPIs and segments data, which, you know, I think is hard to find um, from a lot of the fundamental data providers. Um, you know, it was cool to see Datavations even, which was an X7 Park guy who started uh, a data company that was just focused on the home improvement sector. Um, so I think there's a lot of these. And what's great is like, it's not focused on just the financial community. I think that's what the vendors like is the community is much more broad. 
Um, so of course we're going to have buyers from the largest hedge funds and asset managers and banks of the world uh, signed up. But I think you have the other side of chief data officers, product people that are looking at this, of looking for um, new offerings and, you know, initial data offering is a great way for them to kind of stay up to, uh, up to date on, you know, what's coming to market. You're, you're, you've created something which is very much about freshness and, and novelty and, and um, kind of introduction. It, it reminds me of, um, of, of like the old debutante system where, where uh, people are ushered into the season. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think the exciting thing is, is um, I always was excited in my old seat about meeting new vendors, building new exciting things. And I think with this, I'm seeing it more and more. I think I'm excited also for the opportunity for collaboration. You know, I think we'll see, and I kind of have seen it already where data vendors will partner for, you know, a combined data set together and we'll see some collaborations that are dropped. And I think that'll just, you know, further enhance the community. I think we also, yeah, go ahead. I was no, but I was going to ask, and and uh, I was going to put a, a maybe a, a slightly more, maybe I'm getting old and negative, but um, do you see as much freshness and, and novelty coming out in data sets as as you know you've you've been around for a long time, you've seen the a full evolution cycle of 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 the alternative data space. Are you seeing new novelty, like new forms of data coming out in the same way that there might have been five or ten years ago? I think there's always going to be new things discovered, uh, enhancements to old things, and very verticalized and industry-specific data, I think, is where we'll see more and more opportunity. Um, listen, I think we've all seen a ton of news sentiment data providers, but I think at the same time, like you can think of uh, point of interest data, and there's maybe a hundred different vendors that offer a different flavor of this. Maybe they're specialized in different regions or different types of places. So I do think that... Um, Novelty is always difficult, but I do think that, you know, with the explosion of this data that's out there and the demands from AI and LLMs for good data, um, we're going to continue to see new things created. So the headings, the headings are, are kind of set now, but within them, there's they're, they're splitting and splitting and splitting further down the chain because there's there's endless more specialisms and 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 kind of um, yeah types, and you, the, it'll become a more um, like a just a, 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 a yeah like a busier. I'm sorry, I've I've uh, I've got a vision in my mind of just you know how you've got a few big dots at the top and then it splits and splits as it goes further down and so we've just got this kind of tree growing, um, even if the headings at the top remain the same. I think you're right on that. I also think what's exciting is a lot of people that have had very successful careers at Bloomberg and Market and Nasdaq and Benzinga, you know, have moved on and are starting their own data companies, right? And I think we're starting to see more and more founders that have had success in the data and information services space come out and build, you know, because they thought that there was a gap, right? Maybe there wasn't good transparency in private markets for credit or uh, private co- private stocks. Maybe they think that PitchBook uh, isn't covering a specific sector well. You know, crypto data obviously was a big boom for a while, and there's probably a lot of opportunity still there. There's going to be a lot of opportunity in training data for LLMs, and what does that mean? Um so I think, you know, the skies is kind of the limit. I also think like, you know, during COVID, there was this whole boom of collectibles, whether there's sneakers or trading cards or, um, you know, NFTs and the data just behind that. Um, so I do think that as much as novelty is difficult, 
we're still seeing innovation uh, regularly. A year or two or three ago, it was impossible to ask someone what they what they thought was coming for alternative data without them saying consolidation. Um, do you think? Do you see a consolidation wave to have happened? Is it is it still going to happen? Or where where are we in that? I think we need it to happen. I think it's there's a lot of conversations around it. I think it'll be interesting to see. If we start to see it at scale, I think we've seen Tegas make some you know, pretty great acquisitions the last few years. Um, S&P seems to always be buying stuff, but I do think that we have too many products and not a lot, enough companies. And from a buyer perspective, uh, there's a big opportunity to build the next IHS or the next market or uh, build the next, you know, you know, Informa used to have Informa intelligence. Um, so... It'll be exciting to see who starts to put together those roll-ups. And one more big picture question. How do you see LLMs affecting the picture? They've kind of exploded in the last year. Um, what do you see as being their influence? You've touched on co-pilot and things, but can you talk in maybe kind of broader terms about about what it what it means? I mean, listen, I think the LLMs are data hungry and we're seeing that this play out right now where they've obviously taken a lot of content from web scraping and now they're going back and cutting a lot of uh, licensing deals. I think that's only going to continue to expand. I think it's very hard to build a company in AI right now if you don't have access to good data. So if you're building AI for the financial services space, I would imagine you really want to get access to the best you know, financial services data, or maybe you want to get access to Stocksworth's data to understand how traders speak. Um, so I think building uh, AI for different verticalized uh, use cases is going to require a ton of data and you know, building the next open AI um, from a training perspective is going to need um, unlimited amounts of data. So I do think that these companies that are sitting on uh, these larger data uh, assets are going to be long-term winners. Nice. Um, is there anything you wish you'd said, which I haven't asked you? No. Um, you know, I think for us, it's social leverage, always exciting to meet early stage companies as they're building and would uh, uh, love for people to reach out and for vendors and data buyers, you know, initial data offering, I think is a great place to uh, join a community that's uh, excited to see about data sets being launched. Fantastic. Well, Matt, thanks for so much for your time. Found it very interesting. I appreciate it. Thank you.